are at this evening. Last week, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, <clears throat> the first king of Israel is introduced. And he is exactly what Israel ordered. He is exactly what Israel wanted. It tells us that um, in the beginning of that chapter, as it begins to talk about the first king, says that he, that, that Kish had a choice son. Now, to, 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 say, to say that somebody is choice, it's not a word that we, we use very often, if ever at all. But another word that we can use that would translate would be fine. He was fine. You could say it like that too. He was fine. <laughs> it literally, it, that, that portion literally translates, he was a fine young man. <laughs> That's the way it translates. Um, and on top of that, he was handsome. In Spanish, it's, it's guapo. Some of you guys who have seen the three amigos, el guapo. That's what that means. If you're watching, you know, what, what, that must be his name. It's interesting because my, my nephew, who is part Mexican and part Italian, when he was a little boy and the movie came out and they were having a baby, his mom was having a baby, and she says, he says, Mom, can we give him a Mexican name? She goes, like what? He goes, like, El Wapo. <laughs> <laughs> and so this first king was not only fine choice, but he was handsome. He was easy on the eyes. He was eye candy to all the people. And, that, and, and, and it's not a bad thing if, if he's going to be the face of the nation, especially if he's going to be on coins and all. And, and on top of that, on top of that, he was also tall. Man, this guy had everything going for him, didn't he? It seems like. Because he was choice, he was handsome, and he was tall. He had it going on, all of it. Interestingly enough, though, we don't see that he has a relationship with God going on, though. It never tells us that part. It doesn't give us any clue of where he is at spiritually. And so he has everything outwardly going on, but inwardly he has nothing going on, it seems like. Just from the story that we read last week, it just seemed like nothing was going on there. But it's interesting because that's not what Israel was looking for, someone who was spiritual and had it going on inside. No, what they wanted was something that they could see that would be pleasant to their eyes, and even to their flesh. That's what the Israel was looking for, something on the outward. And so God gives them exactly what they want. And so even though the nation of Israel was basically rejecting the God of Israel because they wanted to be just like every other nation, God was still going to orchestrate this whole thing by giving them what they wanted. So it was fascinating to see how God orchestrated this whole thing. If you were here last week, telling Samuel how everything would fall into place, how everything, he tells him, this is what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. This is what you're going to do, Samuel. He, he gave him instruction that he would recognize, he would know who the, king, the first king of Israel would be without ever knowing who it was. But here's some, some good advice, a good piece of advice for all of us as Christians. We will never be just like everybody else if you're a Christian. Or at least you shouldn't be just like everybody else. Because you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And just like the nation of Israel wanted to be just like everybody else, they could never, to this day, can be just like any other nation because the God of Israel is their God. 
whether they recognize them or not. And for me and you as Christians, we could, we could come to the Lord and, and, and want all of what God is and then get kind of bored and tired and go, well, I just want to do what everybody else is doing and, and go back to, and, and you're never going to be just like everybody else. If the Spirit of God is in you, you're, you're never going to be that. And so a good t- piece of advice is, you know what? Don't even try. Don't, don't even go, go there. Because if you want to do your own thing and do what you want, when you want, how you want, God just might let you have it. <laughs> and you will be miserable. You will be totally miserable. He let Israel have King Saul. <laughs> That's what they wanted. And, and, and again, if you know the story, it, it didn't turn out that, that great. But he was handsome. He was tall. And Wapo King. Papi Chulo. I'm going to get all Mexican on you guys here, man. Papi Chulo is like eye candy. Like, uh, sugar Daddy. There you go. Yeah, Sugar Daddy. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 10, beginning of verse 1. <laughs> then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zilzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went out to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the Terebinth tree in Tabor. There are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of, of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hand. After that, you shall go up or you shall go to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you should do. Let's stop right there for for a little bit. Well, not for a little bit, for a long bit. Um, And then we'll like speed on through the rest of the chapter. We left off last week with Samuel telling Saul to tell his servant to go on ahead, the last verse. As, as they woke up that morning, <clears throat> as they got to the edge of the city, he says, hey, tell your servant to go on ahead. But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of the Lord, or the word of God. Samuel was in a position to announce the word of God, which is a very heavy responsibility, uh, responsibility to have in and of, it, of itself for anyone. To be able to be in that position to, to be able to announce the word of God to somebody. But more so even here in this time in history, as I was looking at this, in this time in, in history when Israel was going to go from a theocracy to a monarchy... 
And it basically looks at Samuel and says, you're the one that's going to get the ball rolling here. You're the one that God is going to use. It's interesting because, again, the responsibility, the heavy responsibility of, of, of a prophet of God, a priest of God, who, who, who has the authority of God to look at a man and say, you, stay here for a little bit because I need to announce something to you. It says, then Samuel took a flask of oil. <laughs> and me, my little pea brain going where it wants to go, I, I thought, I am so glad to hear that he did not have a flask of liquid courage to pull out to say, man, this is a heavy responsibility. I have the weight of the nation of Israel. I got to take a little swig before I pronounce this because this is heavy duty. So I'm glad it was a fast a flask of oil and not anything else <laughs> that he should calm his nerves. But it's quite possible, or is it possible, that a priest always carried a flask of oil with them on person, on their person, at all times for such an occasion? But then again, something like this doesn't happen every day. You don't anoint a king every day. And so is it possible also, could it be, that God had prepared him already and spoke to him in private to say, hey, make sure you have some oil on you. Because you're going to do something today that's going to change the course of history for this nation. Again, if he is in a, in a place of authority to announce the Word of God, then he has to have been in a place where he could hear from God in the first place to be able to have that authority. So he made himself ready. He put himself out there. He opened himself up to say, here I am, Lord, use me. <laughs> it's sometimes a scary thing when somebody says, Lord, I want to be used of you. And then the Lord begins to say, okay, then let me speak to you. So be in my word on a regular basis so you know what my word says so that when it's time to speak, you have something to say if you want to be used of me. And then when you're readied up and you're prayed up and you're read up and, and you're ready to be used and then God says, oh, by the way, you need to go lay hands on somebody and you need to go do that. And you're going, oh, gosh, Lord, what if, are you sure it's me? And we're going to look at that at the end of this study about some inadequacies sometimes that we feel it's like, oh, I didn't know you would use me that way. Can you imagine, though, Samuel, he's been prepared all his life for a time like this, that he would be open enough and put himself in a place to say, I will be used of you. The responsibility of hearing from God and then proclaiming it and saying, this, this is what the Lord wants wants to say because none of us want to look foolish we don't want to embarrass god so we need to be in a place if we're going to speak the things of god to be in a place to hear from god in the first place and it's not always going to be popular too because you're going to say something they're going to go whoa 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 back up jack are you sure that's from god it's like well i've been in the word of god and he's been directing me and I am confident because he was confident to be able to proclaim it, to announce it, to be able to take out the flask of oil and say, come here, buddy. <laughs> Guess what we're doing right now? Oil throughout the scripture often represents the Holy Spirit. <laughs> More so when it is being poured out upon someone or something to be consecrated or set apart for God. Oil was often used to set things apart for the purpose of God. And here, in this situation, oil is being poured out and poured onto a person whom God is going to use in the nation of Israel. And that's where this anointing comes upon someone as they pour. And the pouring here literally does mean pouring. Not a little dab on your finger and then putting it on somebody's forehead and putting the sign of the cross. No, it means pouring. 
all the way over to where now, now it's like, uh, because, you know, it's kind of funny that, that, that even we as Christians, we sanitize kind of stuff like this because it's like, uh, you don't want to put, use too much oil because they're going to go, hey, don't, don't put, I don't want a greasy forehead. Don't put on my hair, I just wash my hair. God forbid that we get any on the carpet. Again, sanitizing this whole thing, anointing with, with the oil. I think sometimes we do the same thing in sanitizing the Holy Spirit. Thinking, God, why don't you just give me a little dab of your Holy Spirit? And not so much, just don't pour it all on me because people will notice. Because see, when they poured it on, when they poured on the oil, and, and I know that, that when you read about Aaron, when, when they poured the oil, it says it came down and onto his beard and it just came, came off his beard. It's like, dude, that is a lot of oil. But see, it represented that you're being anointed. And I could guarantee you when he took out his flask, whether it was a regular flask that we could look at and say, that's still a lot of oil. A little oil goes a long way. I'm not a cook, but I know that you just need a little oil and stuff. But can you imagine when you put oil and you just kind of pour it, if it was on Gary's head, it would just like slip. But I mean, if you had hair, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you could tell that you have been anointed. And honestly, when it's talking about anointing somebody who is sick in James, that means pouring it on and grooming them, massaging it into their scalp to make them feel better so they can be presentable. And so when somebody pours oil on somebody, it is noticeable because people didn't wash their hair all that much, but they didn't always get oil poured onto their head. And so when it came out, it was like slick. I mean, he was like a greaser dude, you know? It's like, whoa. But this is what I find interesting because it represents the Holy Spirit that oftentimes we're going, Lord, I don't know if you, if you really need to pour that much onto me. Just give me a little bit of your Holy Spirit. Because if you give me all of it, people might notice and then kind of start looking at me and be like, what the heck's wrong with you? You're getting all Jesus on us. You're getting all crazy on us. You're getting all serious on us. People will begin to notice if the Holy Spirit comes into your life and all of a sudden you're doing things and you're looking different because the Holy Spirit is now upon you. And notice that word. It, it's upon. As we read through this, it comes upon Him. Nobody else was around in this private anointing that happened, that took place between Samuel and Saul. But the greasy head gave it away. It was evidence. I could imagine that when he caught up to the servant, the servant looked at him and noticed something just happened back there. What happened back there? And maybe the servant goes, mm -mm, I don't want to even ask. Because if you were hooked up with Samuel and you've been anointed... I don't know if I want to know what's going on right now. I'm just a servant. But something special had taken place. And it wouldn't be that easy to hide. And the same is true when you are anointed or you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It becomes evident. It becomes evident in your life. It's not easy to hide. Oh, you could quench the Spirit. You can hinder the Spirit. But it's not easy to hide. And so this anointing was to, to be the commander or captain or prince that would occupy the front position or lead over the inheritance of God. That's what it means here when he says, has anointed you commander over his inheritance. He's saying you're going to be the prominent one. The commander, you're going to be the, the prince. You're going to be the one that's in front. You're going to lead these people. And so that's, that's what he was telling them. You're going to occupy the front office. At this point, I wonder if Saul asked Samuel if he had another flask, maybe of liquid courage, going, you're what? I'm going to do what? How am I going to do this? I'm, I'm just a tall, handsome lug. I don't know if I want to be king. 
but he had anointed him. And so for verses 2 to 5, we see that, that he begins to give them detail of what's going to happen. He said, when you have departed from me today. Now, I guess anybody can anoint anyone with oil and say, hey, you're now the king of this nation. Anybody can do that. And you go and be like, hey, I'm king. It's like, what? What happens here in these verses is that God is going to prove that he is in charge here, that he has actually chosen Samuel to anoint him. And he says, this is how you're going to know that this is for real, bro. This is how you know that this is, this is legit. This is me speaking. This is what's going to happen. And as we go through these verses, as we've gone through these verses, he goes through detail. I love it. Because God says, tell him these things. And it just continues to give him detail after detail after detail of how God was going to prove to him what Samuel just did to you is for real. It is so for real right now. And he begins to prove it. And these three signs would take place in one day to prove to him. And this is more like a, a word of knowledge as well as we were talking about last week. God had given him a word of knowledge of this is what's going to happen. That this is no joke, no fluke. So as Saul starts on his journey and with anoint, this anointing on him, something that the Lord began to do in him, he, he the the these the signs begin to come. And in order, as, as we look from verse 2 to verse 5, in order, this is what they kind of symbolize here about, about the, 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 these guys coming to him to tell him that his donkey had been found and stuff. That God could solve every problem Saul would ever have. Every problem that, that, that this first king would ever have God saying watch me work this one's already taken care of but I will solve every problem as, as, as he goes on and he meets these other three guys and they have these things with them and they give them give him some bread symbolizes the fact that God could supply every need Saul would ever have I will take care of you I will provide for you. I will do whatever it takes. And at the end, when he tells them that you're going to meet up with these guys that are going to be prophesying, symbolizes that God would give him all, that, all the spiritual power for service that he would ever need. And the condition here that God would do all these things the condition is that Saul would have to depart in verse 2. He would have to depart from who he was before he was anointed. He was to be a different man. He would have to depart from his old self and be led by the Spirit as he departed. He would have to depart from the place that he was at and start on his journey. You see, once again... God will use us as he anoints us. But if we just stay in the same place, then we're never going to get ready on this journey. We have to depart from who we used to be and onto the journey that he has before us. And Saul had to do that. He had to depart from the presence of Saul, Samuel. And so one of the conditions is you have to, you have to depart. And then in verse 3, he says, and then you shall go forward. In other words, you will continue on this journey. There's no going back. There's no stopping. You just go forward. And then come to the hill of God in verse 5. These were the conditions that he had set before him as he took off. He says, you are to depart, you are to go forward, and you are to go to the hill of God. And in that, 
you will see the Spirit of God upon you and moving in you and through you because I'm going to show you everything. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to come up behind you. I'm going to do everything for you. And it didn't hurt that he had a worship team following behind him or right in front of him with all these instruments because he didn't have like an iPod to listen so he had a whole full-on band going before him. Stringed instruments. He had a tambourine. We don't even have a tambourine. He had all these things going before him. He would be worshiping along the way because of what God had been doing in his life and how God had, had, had taken care of all his needs, provided for him, and, and used him mightily or would use him mightily in the spirit. And he would be worshiping the whole time. I just think that's fascinating. And this is a picture for the New Testament church of what we have inherited from God through the Spirit of promise, through the Holy Spirit of promise. Oh, there are differences from what the Holy Spirit does in the OT and in the NT. There are vast differences. But it's a picture for us of what God can do. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Man, those are promises that we have because He's given His Holy Spirit to us as well. In verses 6 through 8, I think it's one of the most amazing verses that we could see here when, when he says in verse 6, Then the Spirit of God will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And you will be turned into another man. One of the differences that we see uh, with the Holy Spirit between the, N, the, the OT and the NT is that in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people for a time, and sometimes the Spirit was taken away from people. And, and, and Saul is a classic example of that because that's what's going to happen as the Holy Spirit has fallen upon him. Man, we look at this and go, man, Saul. I mean, people are going to trip out on him. But it also says later on that the anointing was taken from him. And so that's, that's a good example of what the difference is. Whereas in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit will abide with you forever. It says in, in John chapter 14, verse 16, that he will abide with you forever. And Jesus also said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're, you'll receive this power. And we know from, from reading through Acts that this power came upon the people and it never left them. These disciples who waited for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them were never the same after that. And what we have here in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, is a classic example for us in the New Testament of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which occurs in the New Testament. Because the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and he turned into another man. He was never the same. Saul was now a man that was being led by the Holy Spirit because he was doing things that were not normal to who Saul was or used to be. You see, in his obedience, something happened to him. In, in, in his obedience, he was changed and transformed into another man, not who he used to be. That was past. When the Holy Spirit was not only in him or, or with him and in him, he was now upon him and he was never the same or he couldn't be the same. All because he obeyed 
what Samuel had told them to depart, to go forward, come to the hill of God. And the Spirit of God was evident in his life. And if we continue to do that, if we depart, if we continue and go forward, and if we go to the hill of, the God, of God on a regular basis, then the Holy Spirit will just work in a mighty way and we will be another person. We don't have to be who we used to be, ever. Because we are a different person in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit was not just with him and in him, but he was upon him. And those are three different Greek words that are used in, first, or in John chapter 14 and in Acts chapter 1. To be with, in, and upon. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes upon, now it's flowing out of you. <laughs> There's something different. Back in the day, it's interesting, we used to call this, when people got baptized in the Holy Spirit, we used to call it, call it the Nesty Plunge. I don't know, some of you guys are so young, you guys don't even remember that. It's like, what? And in this commercial about the Nesty Plunge, the people would be drinking, and I'm not going to fall off, be careful, Daniel, hold me up, just in case. My equilibrium's been off a little bit. But th th that you just drink, and then you just keep on going, and then you just fall into the pool. And there was no doubt about it that you were in, that you were submerged. There was no way, there was no like, hey, I want the nesty plunge, but don't get me wet from here on. You're not in. You're not, you're not completely in. And it was so funny, man, because the other day, a brother was in my office, and we're talking about what God's doing in his life, and, and, and just the craziness, and he used the analogy of a card game instead. That you could be in a card game, by putting a chip here and putting another chip here, you're in the game. But when you end up doing this and putting it all in, you're all in. Why? Because you're confident in what you're holding here. And nobody can trump you because you're that confident because you've put it all in. You're in. All the way. And, and, and as we were kind of going back and forth, we were both getting excited. I said, because you are so confident that you have the four aces and nothing can trump those four aces. And so you're all in. This is how confident you are, right? And if the, your opponent pulls up an ace, it's like counterfeit. I know it's a counterfeit because there's no, there's no way that you could ever have an ace. And so that's, that's what it means to, to, to be in the, or have the nesty plunge. You are all in. You're not going back. You've, you've played it all. You, you, it, it's all in. And when you are all in, you cannot be the same man that you were before you were all in. Once you're all in, then like Saul, you become a different man, another man, one that is led by the Spirit of God. Saul is encouraged that these signs will come to you. And when they come to you, you do as the occasion demands, he says in verse 6. Seven, do as the occasion demands. And I like that because here he is being led by the Holy Spirit. So we know that if he is led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not going to steer him wrong. And so if he is full of the Holy Spirit and he decides to turn left, then that's what the occasion demanded. You go that way. But what if I would note that the, the occasion demanded this? And so you did it. Why? Because you're directed by the Holy Spirit. Whichever direction he turned, it was going to be the occasion that demanded that turn. He didn't have to worry which way he turned because God was with him. Because whichever way he did turn, God was with him. I think sometimes we're going, man, what is God's will? For my life. And I could guarantee you, if you are full of the Holy Spirit, if you've been baptized with the Spirit, you're in His Word on a daily basis, it's like, well, just go ahead. Just go. But what is His will? Just go. And the occasion will show you what you need to do as you go. Well, should I take that job or that one? Whichever one. Which one you want? Because God is with you. If you, go, if you take that job, God is with you. If you take that job, God is with you. Why? Because the occasion demands that. As you walk, as you go, these signs will follow. And so all of a sudden, he is a different person altogether. And so he has gotten his instructions, and he is to go and wait. And he did. 
with the Lord working along the way. And then waiting for the next step. What else do you have for me, God? And oftentimes that's what God wants for us, to go. And then sometimes he says, just go and just wait. He's going to have to wait at least seven days until Samuel showed up. So in chapter, uh, verse 9, he says, So it was, when they had turned, when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. When they had come there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formally saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Cush? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from, then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Paul also, uh, Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, We looked uh, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, please, what did Samuel say to you? So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter, about the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. So it was. So it was as he took off, as he began to do what he was supposed to do. When anybody surrenders themselves to the obedience of God, no matter who they are, God will give them another heart, a new heart. And all that he has promises, promised them will come to pass. It's a guarantee. So much so that the people couldn't believe it. Those who formerly knew Saul, <laughs> those who knew who he was, and they see him prophesying, doing something that is out of the ordinary for Saul because he never used to do anything like that. They're saying, what the heck? What happened to you? How come you're hanging around with those kind of guys? What, are you a Jesus person now? Do you go to church on Thursdays too? <laughs> you know? It's like, what's gotten into you? Because people, when they become born again and, and filled with the Holy Spirit, people sometimes don't even recognize them anymore because all of a sudden, they're walking a different walk than they used to walk. And they're hanging around people that they never used to hang around with. They used to make fun of those people. And now all of a sudden you're one of them. And it's interesting because these guys, they couldn't believe it. They, they, they made a proverb of him, and I'll, I'll paraphrase the proverb. If it could happen to Saul, it could happen to anybody. <laughs> he was the least person that they thought could ever get saved and transformed. They, they, it's like, no way, not that man. And then in verses 16, or 14 to 16, it says that Saul's uncle said to him, hey, where you been? What's going on? What's happened? One, one would think, because now he's full of the Holy Spirit, one would think that Saul had a perfect opportunity to be bold. Because sometimes when you're, when you're full with the Holy Spirit, He gives you that boldness. And one would think that He has the perfect opportunity to be bold enough to tell Him what the Lord has done in His life and what God had in store for Him. After all, He is filled. There, was, there, there would be no need to hold back, right? And so Saul's uncle inquires and finds out that he met up with Samuel. And he knows who Samuel is. He says, what does Samuel tell you? And this is what I find interesting, that Saul didn't tell him. He didn't tell him anything 
that Saul, Samuel had said or did. And one would think, why didn't he tell him? Why didn't he tell him that Samuel held him back and anointed him and said, you're going to be the next king? Why didn't he tell him? He knew that. I believe that this is wisdom. Wisdom on Saul's part. Because just because you know something doesn't mean that everybody else has to know it. Not everybody has to know what you know. For one, it wasn't Saul's place to say anything. It wasn't his place, even though he was the one involved in it. Everything was pointing to him. He did not have to say it. He didn't lie to him. He just didn't tell him all of it. He said, hey, told me the donkeys were okay. That's it. He told me the donkeys were okay. Secondly, it wasn't the right time to say anything. Whether Saul knew this or not, the Spirit of God had held them back from saying anything because it wasn't his place and it wasn't the right timing to say anything. See, having knowledge of something is one thing. Using wisdom is another Wisdom teaches us how to use knowledge properly. Having knowledge is good. Having wisdom to understand what to do with knowledge is even better. And God had given them this wisdom and this knowledge. Verse 17. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought, you, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the, la- from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from, all, and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversity and tribulation. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by, the tri- by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near, by the, their families, the family of Mater, uh, Matar, whatever his name is, was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book, and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him, and brought him no presents but he held his peace. As he called all the people together, it was up to Samuel to reveal the first king of Israel. It wasn't up to Saul to do that. That's why the Lord didn't allow him to speak. It would have been wrong of Saul to say anything. And so once again, Samuel 
had to remind the children of Israel that they had rejected the God of Israel. And it was on them that they still wanted a king to rule over them. And so from verse 20 to verse 24, Samuel calls together all these families and he does it in a process that, was, that they were used to doing because it, could, it would have been just easy to say, hey, we don't even have to go through the process. Saul, come over here. We're, we're Saul. Come here. But no, they went through the process of Benjamin, which is interesting because the kingship wasn't supposed to come through the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin that was supposed to come through the tribe of Judah. But they picked Benjamin, and then they picked this, this family, and then they picked Saul out of the whole thing, casting lots probably, and lo and behold, it was Saul that was chosen, but he was nowhere to be found. <laughs> and they inquired of the Lord, and the Lord tells them he's hiding among the equipment or stuff. He's <laughs> over there hiding. And I just think it's, it's fascinating. Here's the first king of Israel hiding from what he is called to do. And this is a picture of who this man will be. Unlike David, when he was chosen, or when he was getting, being prepared, man, he runs to the opportunity. He ran after, after the giant. He didn't hide. He went after him. Hiding for God, from God is like playing hide-and-go-seek with a three-year-old. You know, you, you end up counting, and, 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 and you tell them, go hide, and they're like right there. It's like, they can't hide. Even if they try, man, it's like... I, you can't hide behind this thing, you know? It's like, you know, God can see everything. And so to play hide-and-go-seek with God, it's like God will reveal where you are at all the time. And I think oftentimes we look at this and we think like, oh, man, well, poor, poor, uh, poor Saul, man. He was, he was afraid. And I think some people think, no, it was his humility, that he was hiding. He didn't want to be put up in front. It's like, dude, you're the tallest guy here and the most handsome. How can you hide? Why would you hide? And humility is a good thing to have. Don't get me wrong. It's always a good thing. But it seems like it was more insecurity than it was humility here. Humility and insecurity, they look pretty similar but there's a very big difference between the two. Humility is born out of concern for others. Humility is selfless at its core. It is about other-centered and taking care of other people, whereas insecurity is born out of concern for self, for self-centeredness. It is at its core. It is the fear of failing, not looking good in front of people, and these insecurities will end up dictating some of the decisions that you make because we see that in Saul's life. His insecurities caused him to do things that were wrong. I think we all, and I know that we all deal with insecurities and inadequacies in our life. But we can't let those kinds of things dictate what God has called us to do because oftentimes because we feel insecure, we go and hide. Not because we're humble, because we, we go and hide and we don't want to embarrass ourselves in front of people. These insecurities will cause us to be disobedient and they will hold us back from what God is calling us to do because we feel that, that, that we're going to be foolish or make a fool out of ourselves we're going to fail. Oftentimes we're worried about our reputation. And so these insecurities will hold us back. But if you work on your character in Christ, then Christ will take care of your reputation. He will cover you. You just take care of your character. Don't worry about what people are saying. You know, again, there, there's so many times that I could be insecure, <laughs> and I am in a lot of areas, and I could disqualify myself in a lot of ways. But I also know that insecurities will keep me from doing what God wants me to do, even if I make a fool out of myself. You see, if you're afraid to make a fool out of yourself, then you, you, you're going to be hiding in the stuff. 
because you're afraid to fail in front of people. Let God take care of your reputation. <laughs> you just work on your character and what God is calling you to do. You just do those things and he will take care of the rest. And it's interesting at the end here, in, in these last two, three verses, it says that Paul expl- or Saul ex- Samuel explained about the royalty. He went to Deuteronomy chapter 17 and told him, this is what royalty will do. This is what it looks like. And, it, and it's almost like he already says, look at you got what you wanted, but I'll tell you what's going to happen. But here you go. And then everybody kind of went their way. And it says that there were some rebels that said, how can this man save us? And it was almost like, not that they were rebel rebels. They were just going, we don't want to focus on this man. We want to focus on God. Because man will let us down. This king will let us down. And it did look like disrespect because they didn't present him with any gifts. And Saul knew that. And yet Saul didn't speak up. He just kept it quiet. Guys, let's not hide from God and what he has for us to do. Be a fool for Christ. Don't be foolish. (laughs) Be a fool for Christ. Don't worry about what people say. See, we're going to look at that as we look at the life of Saul. And because of his inadequacies, he made some horrible decisions that cost him because he wanted to look good or didn't want to look bad. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you for your faithfulness and your goodness, Lord. Lord, there's so much that you've given to us, Lord God. Lord, there's things that are detailed in our life, Lord God, that we can't quite comprehend. But Lord, as we look to you, as we follow after you, Lord, as we leave our old man behind and we continue to go forward and come to the hill of the, of the Lord, you will show us and you will make us into those, those, those believers, Lord, those people that you want us to be. Father, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord God, for these stories that you give to us, Lord. Lord, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be foolish enough and, and think that we are Israel and, 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 and I, I could bring those Old Testament stories into the New Testament, but the parallels are amazing, Lord. And Lord, we do want to see what and how you can speak to us even through the OT, Lord. And so Lord, thank you, Lord, again, for giving us these stories. How you were working so long ago and you continue to work today. And the promise that you've given us today that the Holy Spirit will abide with us forever. And we bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, man, come up and get some prayer. Uh, Let them lay hands on you and pray for you. And they will be more than...